There's a great personal example, and it was yesterday for me that I went to Mount Shepherd, which is one of our United Methodist camps down in Randolph County, right outside of Asheboro, to run a 5K race. You all know I run for exercise, and I ran a 5K trail race there at Mount Shepherd. And it was uh, quite a beautiful day for it, just perfect weather, except when I got there, after I had warmed up and stretched and, and registered and all that, I realized that the first six-tenths uh, of, the, of the first mile was uphill, straight up Mount Shepherd. Now, if you've ever been there before, there is a fire tower on Mount Shepherd that is supposedly the highest point in the whole county. You can see a great view. Um, I did not go there for the view yesterday. In fact, when I got to the top and was circling around to come back down, I, I probably didn't have uh, be able to see if I was going to look out for a view. But that was not the most difficult part of the race for me. It was about two miles into the race when I was jogging along on a trail and some folks in front of me had decided to stop and walk. And I decided I would take a quick diversion a few yards off the trail into the woods and come back on. And what I met at face level when I did that was a spider web that was about the size of my face. So kind of picture this, that, that I'm running along and, and, and I'm closing my eyes and I'm wiping my face and, and I'm probably thrashing to make sure there's no spider involved in it. Because you can ask my family, one of the things I hate the most of all are spiders. Now, don't anyone bring any toy spiders to my office or anything like that after me revealing this to you today. It seems like a silly fear, I know, but I just don't like spiders. There was no spider involved Saturday, but I can imagine people were laughing at me uh, for the next part of the race anyway, making sure there was no more web and no spider crawling around on me such as that. Well, we have silly fears, don't we? We have real fears, too, fears that keep us safe, things, things that protect us, such as not letting our kids run out into the road because we're afraid what might befall them, taking care of our health so that we can live more years than we would otherwise. There are fears that help healthily motivate us, and then there are some fears in life that just freeze us and do not allow us to do what we need to do. If you've ever been paralyzed by a fear before, it's very real. And there are people that deal with that every day. But if even once before you've not taken a step you know you need to take because you're afraid of what the consequences might be or that you might mess up, then this story today is for you. It's the story of Esther. She faced a very real fear. And if you were here last week, we looked at chapters 1 and 2. And that was about, about King Xerxes, or Ashuarus, as his Jewish name would have been called. King Xerxes of the Persian Empire, who had absolute power over a vast empire and could not be told no. He, every whim, decided what he wanted to do, and no one ever questioned him. His queen Vashti stood up to him, though, when he... He wanted to parade her as an object before his friends at a drunken brawl that he had. And she stood her ground and said no. And so he said, fine, no problem. I will 
divorce you and make an example of you for all the women in Persia, and instead I will have a Miss Persia pageant. And so across his empire, he looked for, for young, beautiful women, and, and a young woman named Hadassah, a Jewish girl, was brought forth, and, and she caught Xerxes' eye, and he named her his queen and named her, named her Esther, her Persian name. So that's chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4 that we're looking at today look at a little different relationship to other figures in this powerful, riveting story of faith. And it is, first of all, Mordecai. Mordecai was the the family member that had raised Hadassah, Queen Esther, as a young girl because she was orphaned. Both of her parents had died. And Mordecai had actually foiled a plot a murderous assassination attempt towards King Xerxes. He was given favor because of that. He spoiled the plot, foiled the plot, and um, though he did not live in the palace or did not have access to see Esther, the girl he had raised, still he uh, had a voice. The other figure for today is Haman. He's the villain of this whole story because Haman was a man that was almost second in command to King Xerxes. Of all the noblemen in his court, Haman was the highest of all. And so everyone, as they passed by him, whether noble or whether commoners, had to bow down to this high man named Haman. But um, there was one who would not. Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, and there was a reason for that. Listen to the reaction of Haman, um, this great second-in-command guy to Xerxes, when it was pointed out why uh, Esther, the king's wife's uncle, would not bow down to him. From chapter 3, a few verses, Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, and he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom um, of Xerxes and in Persia. And so in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, in the month of Nisan, the Pur, that is um, the lot or the die, if you will, uh, a die was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month And the lot fell in the twelfth month, the month of Adar. And then Haman went to King Xerxes, and he said, There's a certain people dispersed among your kingdom in all the provinces who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people. They don't obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate these people. If it pleases the king, then, let a decree be issued to destroy them all. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's treasury in order to make this happen. And so the king took his signet ring, which was a a sign of permission, a tool of permission, from his finger, and he gave it to Haman, the son um, of um, Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And King Xerxes said, just keep the money. And do with the people as you please. And so dispatches were sent to couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all 
of the Jews across Persia, young and old, women and children, on this single day, and to plunder their goods. And spurred on by the king's command, the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa, where Xerxes and where Esther's palace was. And the king and Haman sat down for a drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Well, there's good reason that this place and these people were bewildered because of what was getting ready to take place. You heard last week how, how much of a tyrant and, and how egotistical and, and how self-focused King Xerxes was that he discounted human life as being valuable. Every whim he did, whatever he wanted, regardless of the consequences for other people. But today, now in the hearing, now in the hearing of this, you really and truly see that King Xerxes has surrounded himself with the people that are not just, just whimsical or wanting power, but are dark and are evil. I mean, to wipe out a whole people group, to annihilate all the Jews, and to roll the dice just to choose the day in order to, to make that happen and bring it about, even to, to say, I will just finance that, you you go right ahead and do whatever it is you would like to do, second in command. And then to, at the end of the day, sit down with Haman to have a drink, to celebrate a job well done. Why, it sounds like a chapter out of Adolf Hitler and his henchmen gathering around, celebrating the, the Nazi regime's annihilation of the Jews in Europe in the, the 1930s and 40s. And Esther Young, Jewish woman, Hadassah, queen that she is, is put in such a position that she is called upon to step up and stand out in faith and to speak up for God's people and to save them. Today's story is, is one of challenge for us to think about how is it that God's calling us to be courageous where we are and, and what it is that we are facing. And Mordecai says to, to Esther as he sends a message to her, who knows that, but that for such a time as this, you have been put into this royal position you are in in order to do what it is that you need to do for you and for your family and for our people. And so our sermon today is about doing that for ourselves. Let's pray. God, be with us in just the moments that we have left to think about and unpack the courage that you call us to, the boldness which you compel us to, the following that Christ calls us to, to be faithful servants of yours. We know that we have a privilege to represent you in the world, but we also have an obligation and help us to examine where we are and to see and to listen and hear where you would have us to stand up and to be your person, even at the expense of our personal uh, desires and our personal things. By your Spirit, speak to us, and it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, I checked the clock on my phone, and I see I have a few more minutes, and so a few quick things this morning about this story and how it applies to our life. And the first of those 
is that we are not to hide our faith. We are not to be silent about who it is that we are in God and who it is that we are called to be in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mordecai calls Esther when it's heard and when the summons have gone out that all of the Jewish people are to be put to death across the kingdom. He sends to her a message and says that she is to stand up and be bold for her people and for God's people, the Jews. The um, chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, um, talk about Mordecai and about his resistance to Haman, his resistance to bow down before him. Now, um, before he ever talks to Esther, he is the one that has to stand up for who he is and who God calls him to be. And it's a story really reminiscent of, of Daniel in the lion's den in the similar time frame where when the music stops and he's supposed to bow down and worship a great, a great God, uh, one that was fashioned such as, as King Nebuchadnezzar, he would not do it and went to the lion's den instead. It's similar in fashion, as I mentioned last week, of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the same era where they chose to go into the fiery furnace rather than to bow down to the gods of the kingdom in which they were of Babylon. And Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. Now, how difficult would that be, right? Just to, to put aside and not, not cause any fuss or worry, but just simply to to nod your head or to take a knee, as people were required to do for this man of royal position. And yet, yet Mordecai, like the Jewish people, uh, all of them, God's family believed that these laws that Moses brought down off the mountain were for them to, to live out and to be faithful to, and among those were to have no other gods before me and to not bow down to any image that would replace God. And so for every Jewish person, they would not bow down to anyone or anything except the one true God that they worshipped and were finding their being and their purpose in. And so with that in mind, Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, and he caused a ruckus and fueled an anger within Haman that would, would cause great consternation for all the Jewish people across the kingdom. You've heard the story before, right, that if you uh, don't stand for something, then you'll, how does it go, you'll bow to anything or, or fall down to anything? It's true. Haman challenged Mordecai in his faith, and Mordecai drew the line and said, I will not step over it. I will stand for what is right and true and good. The God who created us and the God who saved us out of Egypt. I don't know about you, but I find it challenging year by year to be more free to live out my faith as a Christian in the world. It's, uh, it's a very different world than when I began in ministry 20-something years ago because less and less people want to hear about Jesus and, and don't care what the church has to say or what the church has to offer. It is a challenging time for us to be people of faith and to go about living our lives in a way that is, is faithful to God and 
not so analyzed that we, we stop glorifying our Father in heaven. Uh, what did Jesus say? He said, you know, as my followers, you are the light of the world. And a light can't be covered up or can't be extinguished. It should be put on a stand instead so that everyone can see and that, that they will give glory to God in heaven. We are challenged to do that in this day and age. I remember in seminary 25 years ago, a professor of mine talking about living in a post-Christian world, a post-Christian culture in America. Now, pre means before, right? And post means after. And what he was getting at, and what I really didn't grasp at that point in time, is that, that less and less the Christian faith is predominant and uh, the, the going thoughts and belief of Americans. And he talked about how we were on a downward slide, how it would become more challenging and difficult for the church, for us as pastors, and us young bucks there in our 20s learning about what it meant to be a minister said, yeah, right. This old man doesn't know what he's talking about. The future is bright and good and wide open. But then here we are 25 years later, and we are challenged um, and ashamed many times to speak up on behalf of Christ and to say what needs to be said, to point out to folks that they're not living out in the love of God, that, that they are disrespecting other people, that, that life is precious and important, and, and we dare not play the role of God in the world. It is more difficult. We are more ashamed of offending people than we are living out our Christian faith and being the light of Jesus Christ. And Esther shows us and reminds us that some things in life are worth standing for and fighting for. And God calls us to be followers of Christ boldly, in love, in a way that reflects who he calls us to be and in our own personality as well. The story of Esther teaches us to be outspoken in our faith. Secondly, it teaches us that our life has a greater purpose than just ourselves, right? I mean, we're here, do you believe, for something more than just going about and living through our 73.4 average years lifespan for men anyway, longer for women, just for ourselves. We're not here just for self-consumption or just to amass what it is that we want in life for our own kingdom. We're here with a greater purpose and a greater reason for such a time that God intends for us to stand up and to speak out and to do what it is that we are called to do. Who knows? Mordecai says to Esther as he sends a message to her that, that you've not put in, been put in your position for such a time as this to do what is right and good and of God. And who knows that your life today, that right now, this week, that you have a purpose that's greater than you to do something greater for God than just what you want to do or what is on your schedule. Life has a, a divine element to it. We are part of a greater story of God's story. And he has a role for us to play and a place for us to be and can use us as 
his tools effectively. If we have faith, if we believe that, that he's willing and that, that through us he will do it. I was watching this last week on TV, as some of you might have been. Some of the reflections and the remembrances about 9-11. And amazing, amazing stories are told from survivors in the Twin Towers and, and also some from the Pentagon where that attack on our country and where tremendous life and death situations raged in the form of fire and destruction of people that stood up bravely and boldly to do the right thing, to save those that were in need, to put aside their own interest and their own protection so that others might live. It was a, a great reminder, 9-11 was this week, and watching some of those things that, that we all have a place in time in life where we are going to be called upon to be brave, to be bold, and to be God's person in the world. And sometimes it's going to take sacrifice, and sometimes it's going to take stepping up and jumping into deep waters that we, we hadn't anticipated swimming in. Where is it that God calls you to here and now for such a time as this to, to live out your greater purpose and your, your divine reason for being in this world? Are you brave and courageous as Esther was and as Mordecai? was as well. One more thing about this story in chapters 3 and 4 today, and that is that Esther seeks out particularly prayer and, and fasting for her time when she is going to be called upon to be bold and brave. I don't know about you, but when I'm facing challenging circumstances, when, when things are very difficult for me, I covet the prayers, and ask people to pray for me and lift me up so that I can have the strength and the courage I need in moments where I will be put forward to do what it is that God calls me to do. In chapter 4, verse 16, Esther, when she is called upon by Mordecai to, to go before Xerxes, the king of all of Persia, and to ask him to reverse this edict against the Jews, the destruction of the whole people across the country. She is scared to death about going before her husband, before the king as queen, because she knows his reputation, particularly and especially for women that might defy him or say something that goes against what it is that he has commanded. I'm sure that she is thinking quite clearly of Queen Vashti and how she was dealt with by King Xerxes when she was asked to go before him and, and request that he would reverse this edict that he had allowed Haman to make. And listen to what she says in, in 4.16. Esther sent this reply back to Mordecai. And she said, Go and gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast just like you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against his law. And if I perish, I perish, she said. And Mordecai, we are told, went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Esther knew that she did not have within herself 
what was needed and required to climb this mountain that was before her. She was fearful, scared to death, and did not know what to do. And so she called upon God's people to, to fast for her. It, it's a Jewish way of, of coming and beckoning God and asking God to come and be with them or be with someone else. A powerful form of prayer she requested for all of God's people to do so that she might have the courage to face what lied ahead. And how often are we just silent? And we don't ask our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family, to come together and to pray for us. So often we're thinking about um, ourselves or our own lives. Maybe sometimes we're not even tuned to other people's needs and their need for us to lift them up with holy hands and to support them in their great moment of challenge and of need. And yet, yet by God's grace, we all desire to be able to, to stand boldly in the moment when God calls us to in life to be his person in the world. And, and it's not easy going it alone. Am I right? I'm right about that. Yeah, so where is it today that God is calling you to be bold for him? And how is it that you can listen and discern and hear where it is that God is, is calling you in your life to, to stand up and to speak out and to act? Some situations, next slide please, some situations we find ourselves in, if we could advance the slide, are situational and we have to trust God in those. And this was the case for Esther, wasn't it? A young woman who had been wooed and won a beauty pageant and had everything that she possibly could have ever asked for, safety and security for all the rest of her life, provided by King Xerxes and the kingdom of Persia. And yet in her situation, she realized what was at stake. And she put forward, risked, even sacrificed in her situation all that she had and enjoyed in life because she knew and realized what really mattered. We're, we're in situational circumstances lots of times where, where we're put in front of, of conf conflict with other people in the workplace or in our families, where, where we have to deal with, with stress and with conflict with other people. Is God calling us to, to stand up and, and to have the hard conversations, to speak truth and love, to people that we are find ourselves in conflict with. Maybe um, we're in a situation where we really do feel like there's a, a 0.6 mile mountain climb right in front of us that we have to trudge up all alone. And we think that we can't do that. Or we don't even want to begin because it seems so high and so insurmountable. Is God calling you to have faith in climbing that mountain and, and running up it with his strength and his purpose in your life. Sometimes our, our need to trust God is seasonal as well. We come into different times in life, and I'm not talking about the season of fall coming upon us. But maybe you're newly retired, and maybe you're wondering, after you sleep in for a few months, what you're going to do next Maybe God is calling you to pray and to discern and to ask, how, how would God 
call you to serve him in a new and a greater way in this new season you'll find yourselves in. I remember one school teacher, a church member of mine, telling me when I was her pastor that every year after a couple of weeks after the students had come back and she had all of her new students there and the newness had worn off, that she had to recommit herself to be in the Word and to be um, finding her purpose and her center in God so that she could in that school season every year be the face of grace to those kids when they tested her the most. Are you at a, a new place in life where, where you are in a different season and God is calling you to do something different or take on something in a, in a more powerful way for him? Or attitudinal. Now, I don't even know if that's a word, but it went along with situational and seasonal. Does anybody know his attitudinal word? Why not? Why not? I like that. But I'm speaking of sometimes God is calling us to live out in a new attitude in life. It's easy for us to allow the darkness of the world to overcome us and overcome the light that we are called to live out and have in our hearts and lives. And sometimes it's simply God calling us to, to trust him and give up to him the struggles that we face and, and the bad attitude that sometimes, well, oftentimes, darkness can, can bring about. Or what about defeat? Though we know God's promise is sure and complete and that he will be there for us and enable us to climb those mountains. Do we believe that he gives to us and will deliver the victory that we so need in life? Or do we despair and do we fall into defeat? Maybe to be more of an outspoken representative of Christ in the world for the week to come is what God is calling you to do and to have the courage to step up to family or to neighbors or classmates and speak about what he has done in your life and how he can transform everyone's human heart and life for good and for greatness. It is what, what Queen Esther, young Jewish girl, did. By prayer and support and encouragement of others in her faith community, by taking up courage and just having the faith to step in and dive in, God did a great thing and saved great many people, his people, through such a time as this when she was willing to step up and be bold. And so this morning, my prayer for us all is for courage. If we